Let's look at Exodus 4 today, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, it'll be on the screens. A few weeks ago, I preached out of this chapter a message titled, Three Miracles. And today, I want to continue this story and apply it to our lives. For 40 years, Egypt shaped Moses to be a leader. But by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was called to be a deliverer, and one day he sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew, so he strikes down the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. And in a panic, he fled the scene and headed for the desert of Midian, where he spent 40 years feeling forgotten, alone, fearful, and broken. Until God called to him from a burning bush that was burning but not consumed, And it's at that moment God tells Moses that it was time to deliver the Israelites. But Moses wasn't convinced. The Moses we saw in Egypt was brash and confident. But the Moses we find four decades later is reluctant and weather-beaten. He was struggling with unbelief and insecurity. And God wants to use him, but Moses doesn't want to be used. Anybody ever been there? Some of you are there today. God wants to use you, but you don't want to be used. You've told him every reason why he can't use you to do what he's calling you to do. Every excuse you've told him. But today we want to we answer those excuses. I want you to leave here saying, I can do what God has called me to do. So God gives Moses three miracles to build his faith. What's in your hand, Moses? A staff. And he threw it down and it became a serpent. And when he picked it back up, it became a staff again. Place your hand in your cloak. And when he put it in his cloak and he pulled it out, it was leprous. But when he put it back into his cloak and pulled it out, it was whole again. Get some water out of the Nile River, Moses, and pour it on the ground. And when Moses poured it on the ground, it became blood. And these three miracles are for us today because the first miracle showed God's power over Satan, the serpent. How many knows that God has power over the enemy today? I need somebody to testify with your praise like you believe that God has power over the enemy today. The second miracle showed God's power over sin and flesh. That was the typology of leprosy. Finally, the third miracle showed we are redeemed from both of those through the blood. The Nile River was Egypt's lifeline, but the blood would be the Israelites' lifeline. The Nile is where Egypt got their strength, but the blood of the Lamb would deliver the Israelites one day from that death angel that came by and passed over. But after all this, Moses is still not convinced. How many will admit that we can be stubborn? Hard-headed. Moses is hard-headed. And we pick up the rest of the story in Exodus 4, 10 through 12. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm so of speech and of tongue. Moses said, look, I told you every other reason, you gave me an answer, but let me tell you the real reason. It's because I have a speech impediment. And you want me to be your voice, God, but I can't even say the words you want me to say without stuttering. 
Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Well, I love the Lord. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. Moses, you gave me every reason why. Just go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Just go. Moses, just go. I'm going to teach you what to say. Just go. So I'm a priest today. I still stutter. Stutter. Haven't perfected it. Haven't got it all right. I struggle every day of my life. But I'm going to go do what the Lord has called me to do no matter how much I stutter. God, help us today. Let your anointing fall in this place. God, let your word go forth. Let it find good ground. Let it produce, God. Help us today to embrace our struggles so that we can grow from them and advance your kingdom, God. I pray that the word will find good ground today and produce in someone's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise, and you may be seated this morning. Currently reading a book by... Gerald R. McDermott, titled Famous Stutters. Twelve inspiring people who achieve great things while struggling with an impediment. It's very interesting, so I wanted to give you a brief synopsis of a few of them. In 1938, Time Magazine called King George VI the most famed contemporary stammerer in the world. He was the monarch of the British Empire, which at that time included almost one-third of humanity. Yet much of the world knew that this very famous and powerful man stuttered. Aristotle is one of the most important and influential philosophers in the history of the West. However, scholars have known for a long time that he might have had a speech impediment. And a close look at the evidence suggests that his impediment was not a lisp, as had been thought, but a stammer of some kind. What about Joshua Chamberlain? was a college professor in Maine who volunteered to fight for the Union in America's Civil War. He was the real thing, wrote a soldier who served with him. A scholar and politician who exhibited audacious heroism in combat. His key role in the Battle of Gettysburg was first featured in the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, The Killer Angels, then made famous in Ken Burns' 1990 Civil War documentary and immortalized by Hollywood in the 1993 film, Gettysburg. None of these portrayals, however, revealed that Chamberlain had a horrible stutter over which he agonized in college and had to fight to control the rest of his life. John Glenn broke the sound barrier in 1957 when he was the first person to fly a jet across the country at supersonic speed in three hours and 32 minutes, which was faster than a bullet fired from a 45 caliber pistol. Yet the most significant breakthrough was when his wife, Anna, who had been laughed at since the sixth grade while she stuttered trying to recite a poem made up in her mind, it would no longer define her. She moved to New York City on a scholarship from Juilliard School to do her graduate study. But neither she nor John thought she would survive in the city because of her stutter. As John puts it, shopping in an unfamiliar store was torture for Anna. She had to write a description of what she wanted or take a sample to show a clerk because she couldn't ask for it. And sometimes she went home in frustration. People often laughed at her as she tried to get the words out. 
Then one morning in 1973, John and Anna was watching the Today Show when a guest appeared from a small college in Virginia. Ronald Webster was a psychology professor at Hollins College where he had developed a remarkably successful program to help stutterers. Several months later, Anna was in the program. She said it was very intense, three weeks and 11 hours of work each day. No one from our families could call us. I was in a room alone, but I made friends, of course, with the others who was there in the program. At the end of three weeks, Anna called John. He says, I'll never forget that call. John said she was very careful and slow with her speech. And she said, today we went to a shopping center and went shopping. And I could ask for things. Imagine that. John had never heard Anna speak so many words without a single pause. He says he knelt to say a prayer of thanks to God for helping his wife. John went on to say when Anna got home, the phone bills went up because Anna started calling friends all over the country. She told him, I feel like a butterfly that's been let out of the cage. And after a life of being afraid to answer the telephone or to call somebody for help, or to go to a restaurant and order a meal, she suddenly became able to give speeches. But Anna said the best part of her new life is that she could help people. Because when there were other people that stuttered, that learned that Anna stuttered, they would come to her to ask her, how can they stutter and be sick? Are you ready? How can they stutter and be successful? And guess what? Anna still stuttered the rest of her life a little bit. It didn't stop, but it did not stop her from doing more in her life. And I've showed up to tell somebody on a Sunday morning, sure you stutter, but when are you going to stop letting that define you? When are you going to stop letting that stand in your way? See, too often we make the mistake of jumping to the conclusion that there is only one kind of response to something challenging or traumatic that has happened in our life. And that response is just give up. But there's another way. Because not all difficulties are negative. Each of these stories prove that sometimes challenges can become the catalyst to the greater in our lives. I've said it before and I feel led to say it again today. God has given you an unfair advantage. And it's most likely hidden in the darkest part of your story. Birth not in your strengths, but in your weaknesses. Now let me say this. I'm not giving anybody a green light to live continually in sin and iniquity. I don't want you to leave here and be like, oh, pastor said that I, I can just, I can live in sin. I'm going to be all right. No, that's not what I'm talking about today. First John 5 and 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. When we receive the gospel, it should transform our lives. 2 Corinthians 5 and 16, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come do not conform to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and nothing is more disheartening than seeing a holy spirit filled believer living a defeated life because they don't tap in the spirit into the spirit on a daily basis how many knows the holy ghost can overcome your enemy that's why he gave us help if you feel like you can't make it, tap into the Holy Spirit. If your flesh is giving you issues, tap into the Holy Spirit. So I'm not talking about an excuse to live an immoral lifestyle. I'm talking about the willingness to stop pretending, complaining, and quitting whenever you feel like you can't do what God is calling you to do. Plus, are you ready? 
The world is tired of listening to people who continually use filters to fix their flaws and insecurities. I'm talking about the church. That's why we dress up. We got to cover up all them issues we really got. Let's just be honest. We walk into the house of God act like we got it all together and we get home and we in the battle of our life every day. But we step out the door and we look like this. I have arrived. Look, you can dress it up all you want to. You can call it a Christian. You can call it whatever you want. But at the end of the day, everybody in this place has got to struggle. And if you can't show anybody that you struggle every once in a while and you get discouraged, you're probably not going to win a lot of people because the world is tired of people that are covering up their insecurities and acting like they can walk right all the time and acting like they got it all together and they got it figured out. Look, I got to pray every day. I believe people are attracted to the gifts that make us strong, no doubt. But I believe they are positively impacted by the struggles that make us human. You know why? Because people want to see attainable grace. And our lives should be a walking billboard of what a Christian can, what Christ can do with imperfect people. That's what our, my life is not look at Josh Payne. He's got it all together. Hopefully my life says look what Christ can do with an imperfect vessel. And look, I've showed up this morning to ask a liberating question. What is your stutter? Everybody's got something that they struggle with. It could be insecurity. It could be intimidation. It could be fear. It could be doubt. It could be low self-esteem. It could be anger. It could be a disability. Or it could be a continual temptation that constantly shows up in your life. But we all have something in our life that we think about, that we pray about, that we cry about, that we hurt about, that every time we go to take a step of faith, it pulls us back. And you've begged God. You've begged God to take it away. But what if I told you it's there so the divine nature of Christ can be manifested in your life? I've got to preach this today. I've got to get it out of my spirit. I've been carrying it. I've been carrying it all week. Did you know that the attack is often a blessing in disguise? I'm going to say that again. Do you know that your struggle can sometimes be a blessing for your life in disguise? Do you know when you're in the darkest season of your life, that's probably when God is preparing you for what's next in your life? The Apostle Paul said this. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure, it was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, we understand he's not talking about a literal thorn. He was speaking metaphorically. And some of the more popular theories of the thorns interpretation includes temptation, a chronic eye problem, migraines, epilepsy, and even a speech disability whatever it was he would go on to write three times I begged the Lord take it away from me take it away take it away now watch that watch this Paul would go on to write these words St. Corinthians 12 and 9 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness he was saying, Paul, no, bad, no matter how bad the thorn gets, I promise you that I've given you inexhaustible grace in your life that is more than enough to help you through every season that you walk through. Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. The word translated as perfected here mostly refers to completion or accomplishment. The focus is on something being achieved, not having flaws removed. 
in the kingdom, can I tell you, it's not about pleasure and leisure. It's about development and trust. A lot of us want to get comfortable in the kingdom, but that's not what the kingdom is for. It's for God to develop us and for us to learn to trust him. And some of you think the victory is getting rid of the thorn. And you've been praying for years, but I need you to understand today that the thorn is not the issue. The issue is where do you turn when the thorn shows up? That's the issue. The issue is when you start feeling overwhelmed and you start feeling inadequate and you start feeling insecure, where do you turn? That thorn has showed up to challenge you because God is trying to teach you that you can have the thorn and still make a difference. The thorn is the resistance we exercise to get stronger and grow in the kingdom because God is getting ready to take you to a place where you would become arrogant and impressed with yourself if you didn't have something in your life that kept you humble. So God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And the lower you get in the kingdom, the more power you have. So if I take the thorn in my life and I take the stutter in my life and I take the struggle in my life and it leads me to a place to where I get on my knees and say, I can't make it, God, another day without your help. Then I become strengthened in my faith by the very thing that may have been sent to destroy me. My stutter is the key to my development because it keeps me from becoming self-sufficient. That's why every, every Sunday I leave, I go home and I tell my wife, I say, baby, I quit preaching. She said, why do you quit? I said, because that was terrible. She said, baby, it wasn't terrible. I said, it was terrible. And I've learned that on Sunday afternoon. Look, I used to sneak up here when everybody left and delete sermons so nobody could watch them or listen to them. They would say, what happened to the sermon? Lightning struck. It ain't there no more. It, lightning storm. But you know what I've learned in 10 years of pastoring? That people are not connecting to the way that I speak. They're connecting to my humanity that the Holy Spirit flows through. And listen, I can tell people in, in this place, I can tell you, I can go to somebody and I can say, oh, oh you hiding your stutter. Now, I'm not here to judge you, but I can, I can tell you because, because I've learned how to hide my stutter. But I can also go to you and tell you people who have learned to embrace their stutter. How? I've watched people worship today. And you can tell by their desperation whether they're suppressing the thorn in their life or they're embracing it. That Listen, that thorn has allowed you to stay on your knees when everybody else was walking away. That stutter in your life has, has allowed you and made you turn over the plate and fast when everybody else was just eating all the food. That stutter in your life made you read the word of God while everybody else was being enamored with entertainment. That stutter in your life made you worship when everybody else on the road was looking cute, but you came in here saying, I've got a thorn, and if I don't have an encounter today, I don't know if I'm going to be all right. Listen, you worshiping today because you know you got a devil to fight and a thorn to deal with. Some of us didn't come to church today to show off our clothes, our shoes, or how much money we have. We showed up today to worship because we got a thorn and a stutter, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us today. I didn't come to show you how good I can look in a black suit and a blue shirt. I showed up today because I've got an issue, and every day that I don't deal with the issue, I can lose this battle. Every day that I don't overcome my insecurity, every day I don't overcome my inadequacies, I can lose this battle. Paul said this, he said, we have this treasure in earth and vessels. The power may not be of us, but it's of him to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
And the Lord wanted to keep Paul humble because removing his self-sufficiency would eliminate any stubborn pride, make him more useful, causing him to bear more fruit in ministry and bring more glory to God. And once Paul was permitted to see his thorn in the flesh and the light of God, God's glorious purposes, he chose an interesting response. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, some of you have defined your struggle as weakness, but you came in here, you're stronger than what you ever imagined you were. He doesn't complain about his weaknesses. He brags about them. Notice that Paul isn't sugarcoating his thorn. He calls it what it is. It's a painful weakness. Nevertheless, he boasts in it because he sees this thorn as the doorway to experiencing the power of Christ in his life. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. And Paul went on to preach the gospel. He started a number of new churches throughout Greece and Rome. He wrote half of the New Testament. And on top of that, according to what he tells us here in 2 Corinthians, God had given him a vision where he was actually in paradise and saw and heard things he wasn't even permitted to tell us about. And Paul did all of this with a thorn in his flesh. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to tell them, I still stutter, but watch what God's getting ready to do in my life. Come on, I want you to look at somebody else and say, I still struggle with every inadequacy that you can imagine. But watch what God is getting ready to do in my life. Come on, can you still stutter and be effective in the kingdom of God? Can you still, can you still worship when you're dealing with a thorn in your flesh? Can you still exalt him? Can you still tell people about him when you're in a low season of your life? I still stutter, but I'm going to be effective while I stutter. Our text today, we find Moses standing before God at a burning bush. And God says to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The problem was Moses didn't want to go. He was given excuse after excuse as to why he shouldn't have to do what God wanted him to do. Moses said, I'm fearful. And God said, I'm powerful. So for every excuse, God had an answer, and, and he points to his character and his ability and the way that he can work in Moses' life if Moses would just allow him. And now we come to the, one of the most basic of his excuses. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. He implies that, that he has a speech impediment, and there's some scholars who think that Moses stuttered. We don't know 100%. Some believe Moses had an impediment but did not stutter. Others have, have thought that Moses' problem was linguistic. According to Sigmund Freud, Moses was, uh, was an Egyptian and could not speak Hebrew. So they said that he struggled. Other historians have suggested that Moses knew both languages but spoke Hebrew with a heavy accent. Other Jewish interpreters thought the Hebrew phrase heavy of tongue and mouth meant that Moses' speech was just fine. It was eloquent. On the other hand, some said in many spoke slowly and carefully. He wasn't a Pentecostal preacher, that's for sure. According to ancient documents in Egypt, eloquence was considered a premium to the Egyptians. They considered it very important. So Moses would have known that since he grew up in Egypt, which we find it would fit Acts 7 and 22. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Here's my theory. You ready? I'm going to give you my commentary on it right now. 
Can you imagine being told your whole life that you were going to be a deliverer? But now you find yourself isolated and tending to your father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. What I believe is I believe Moses lost his confidence when he got on the backside of that desert for 40 years. I can see Moses talking to himself. Boy, you really messed up. He ain't got nobody else to talk to. He's out there saying, man, you, you really, bro, you, you have made a fool of yourself. You killed that Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Moses, you are meant to deliver the people. You're not meant to just be striking down Egyptians right now with your bare hands. My mom told me I was going to do something great for the kingdom and that I would be mighty, but now I'm just broken. I don't have confidence. I don't have purpose. And according to the Mayo Clinic, speech difficulties can appear after an emotional trauma. So if you ask me today, I can't 100% tell you if Moses stuttered. But I can tell you this, that Moses had enough emotional trauma that could have caused him to stutter. So if you ask me today, and if you, if you read most commentaries through, that's been passed down through the ages, they would say that Moses stuttered. In a recent issue of the journal Neurological Science, there, three medical researchers have suggested even more evidence. They say that Moses' story portrays three telltale symptoms of stuttering. Fear, finding someone else to speak as a spokesman, and Aaron, and the pattern of hesitation and avoidance. Plus, Moses' excuse about public speaking is not a new thing. Jerry Seinfeld once said, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. So for the average person, if you have to go to a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than do the eulogy. <laughs> so my man has a past. He doesn't have a purpose. And he's getting ready to go be a spokesman. That's going to release a whole bunch of Israelites. And can I tell you today, that's still true about us today. We all struggle to share our faith with others. And there are a lot of church churchgoers who feel unsure of themselves. And they might not stutter, but they feel slow of speech when it comes to sharing their testimony. And yet sharing our faith seems to be the core of what Jesus wants us to do. He told us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is that name? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. So we do the same thing that Moses does. Why I just I don't want to tell anybody about my faith because I, I'm just I'm not good enough to do it. I just I don't have all the qualifications. I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to tell somebody about your faith. All you got to do is be redeemed and restored and filled. And we're obligated to tell people about a Savior that saved us and he can save them. Look, this was a driving force in the early church. Peter declared, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. God has given us the same kind of marching orders he gave Moses. God told Moses to go and bring people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. And God says to you and me, I want you to go and I want you to bring people out of their addiction. I want you to bring people out of their depression. I want you to bring people out of their discouragement. I want you to bring people out of their sin. I want you to tell them that there's hope for their life when they feel like there's no more hope for their life. Listen, how can they know if they don't hear? 
we got a bunch of lions in the building, but a bunch of mice on the street. Boy, we roar in here, but we don't want to tell anybody out there about what he's done in our life. But can I empower you today that every one of us needs to embrace the Great Commission because God wants to save people right now. And he's going to use each and every one of us to reach people and to help people and to lead people and to guide people. He didn't save you for you to just sit here. He saved you for you to go out and tell somebody else about the goodness of God. Jen, where you at? Stand up real quick on that crutch. I ain't going to embarrass you. Just stand up. Everybody know Jen? Raise your hand. Jen, have you ever preached with a microphone? So, but you would say that you're not, more than likely, you're not going to be up here preaching on Wednesday night and Sundays. Not unless God says so. If she does, she does. But you know what Jen does do? We had to give her the church shuttle bus to drive back to where she lives because she was bringing so many people to the house of God. I can tell you what Jen does. She is a minister. She goes out with the great commission and tells them, you don't have to live broken. You can stutter and still come and be a part of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said, Jen. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you, I will make you fish for people. I, I'm not a fisherman. I remember, I remember when I went to work for DOTD, and uh, I felt peer pressure to become a fisherman because everybody else fished. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not a man unless I become a fisherman. So I went and bought me an open face rod and reel, and I bought me a bucket. And I went out in my yard. I never hit that bucket one time. Look, I thought a bird's nest was something that a bird gets in. I didn't know that a, a bird's nest gets in a rod and reel and takes three hours to get it out. So I said, you know what, this ain't for me. If I go, somebody better give me a closed face reel. And if we go, we're going to go for 35 minutes and we're coming home. We're not fishing all day. Some of you want to go. If you ain't called nothing in 35 minutes, you're not going to catch nothing. You got it. That's a rule. If you look it up, if you Google how to fish, it'll tell you that. If you don't catch something in 35 minutes, you, you got to quit going. It's like Brother Kyle trying to play golf. If you ain't figured it out by now and all that time, you ain't. But I can tell you one thing I know about fishing. Fishing doesn't have anything to do with your speech. If you got a stutter, you can still fish. If you got a stutter, you can still go out there and try to catch a fish. And if the church would get to a place to understand that your inabilities has nothing to do with the way that you advance the kingdom of God, you would stop making excuses on why you can't. Ma'am or sir, God wants to use you. 
I'm going to say that again. God wants you to fish and stutter at the same time. God wants you to go out there and say, I don't know exactly what to say, but the Holy Spirit is going to use me. God wants you to go grab somebody by the hand and say, I'm going to help you get to where God wants to take you. I still stutter. Because it's really not about the stutter. It's about the message of the stutter. It's about the way, the truth, and the life. It's about whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. It's about neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what it's about. It's about, it's about that kind of testimony. And when, when, when that burning bush happens, Moses asks two questions. He says, who am I and who are you? Go read it. God never answered the question about who Moses was because it didn't matter. But he said, guess what? Guess what, Moses? I'm going to tell you who I am. I am the I am. I'm not the, the I am. He said, I'm not the I used to be. I'm not the I will be. I'm the I am right now, Moses. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, I'm going to be the I am. And when you get there, tell them the I am sent you. Well, preacher, what's that got to do with Jesus? Well, a whole, a whole lot. Because Jesus appropriated this name for himself in the Gospel of John. He used it several times. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. On and on, I am. And he said before Abraham was, I am. Because Moses, it's not about your stutter. Josh Payne, it's not about your stutter. It's about the I am that has brought you out. It's about the I am that is with you. It is about the I am that you didn't need one time at an altar. You need him every day of your life. It's about the message of the I am. I want you to look at somebody and say, the I am has sent me. Not the preacher, not the river. The I am has sent you. See, that was Moses' problem. He had a speech impediment. I'm almost done. Moses has heard the voice of I am. And now he has witnessed miracles. Yet he still says, I've got a speech impediment. Therefore, you can't use me because I've got an impediment. Now, you could just adjust that excuse today and modify it by saying, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not important enough. I'm not enough. And you'd be right. None of us are enough today. I'm not enough to preach to you today. I'll go home and say, buddy, you scream too much. you got to calm it down when you're up there. I'll go home and say, you didn't scream enough. I'll go home and say, you read, you read your notes. You should have got off of them and just danced a little bit for somebody. Don't make me, don't make me, don't, don't make me, I'm telling you. If I wasn't a preacher. Someone once said, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. So Jim Ron said, but that's not what God said to Moses. God told Moses, if I want you to do something, I'll find a way, and I'm not interested in your excuses. Verses 11 through 12, then the Lord said to said to him, who has made man's mouth? That's what's funny is we act like he didn't create us. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Do you think God is big enough that when you open your mouth, he can fill it with the words he wants you to say? Psalms 81 and 10, I am Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And remember, Paul, this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brothers, did I not come proclaiming you to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom? 
For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Moses, it's really not about you. Matter of fact, all I need you to do is go in there and say, let, let, let my, my people, people go. And Moses, when you say them words, my power is going to be manifested. Look, he went in there. That's what I'm going to start doing. I'm about to preach for the next three weeks. I'm just going to get up here and say, let my people go for 35 minutes. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let, 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 let my people go. I may do it in every voice. I need an organ. I'm telling you right now, I need an organ. That's all Moses did. Let my people go. There was no deep theology. There was no clever dialogue. There was no eloquent sermon. Just four simple words. Let my people go. You see, God doesn't want you to impress people, out-argue them, or out-quote large sections of Scripture to them. Someone once noted that Jesus never sought to win an argument. Instead, he sought to win the individual. Pentecost people will argue with you faster than anybody else in this world. Someone needs to let the enemy know, let my people go. I'm not here to win an argument. I'm not here to debate. I'm just here to stutter, let my people go. You're not my enemy. Nobody else outside is my enemy. There's an enemy, a demonic enemy that is holding people captive. And God has sent me to stutter. Let, let, let my people go. Musicians, you can come. People just want to know what Jesus has done for you, and can he do it for them? That's all. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So could it be that when I stutter, I preach better? When I mess up some of my vocabulary that I work hard on all week long? I, I, look, I pay monthly for a program called Grammarly because my grammar is so bad. When I went to Bible college, they said, look, y'all write this report, and if, if, you, if your grammar is good, then you don't have to take some of, these, some of these classes. I wrote my report and turned it in with confidence, like, I ain't going to take these classes. Look, not only did I have to take the classes, they said it's so bad, you got to take extra classes. And I'm up here preaching to you the word of God. Because God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And you know what I believe? I believe that Moses couldn't do what God wanted him to do until he broke Egypt out of him. So for 40 years in the desert was preparation for his future. And he's going to find it very valuable. Think about it. Soon he would be leading the children of Israel to that same landscape. He knew how to navigate the challenges of the desert. Plus 40 years of being in the desert after you're an Egyptian prince brings humility. And while Moses passed as an Egyptian, got him an audience with Pharaoh. The people whom Moses was called to lead had been beaten and broken for over 400 years. And those broken people weren't looking for an eloquent speaker. They were looking for a leader who can relate to their brokenness. Moses, it's the stutter that makes the message effective. 
Because Moses, your inability shows God, God's ability to use anybody. Moses, when you're weak, he's going to be strong because it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit. So today, stop logically disqualifying yourself from what God ordained you to be before you were even born. Look, I've learned, guys. I'm OCD, ADD, introverted. It takes me forever to process something. I got to sit there and think through, think through, think through, think through. I've learned. I still, I still, there's words that I can't say. If you look at my notes today, I literally spend an hour sound checking words because I'm like, man, I'm about to make a, about to make a mockery out of myself. Tiff, where you at? Raise your hand. Do I want to quit preaching after every sermon? It's a love-hate relationship. Like sometimes I'm like, man, I'm the most blessed person in the world. And then I'm like, God, what did you do to my life? But I'm telling you, it's not my preaching that's gonna, it's gonna really help people. It's my stutter. I'm flawed and I'm imperfect, but I'm still doing what God has called me to do because through my weakness, he shows himself strong. And our witness has nothing to do with our inadequacies, but his willingness to speak through our stutter. The church is not made up of spiritual giants, only broken men and women that can lead others to Jesus Christ. Luke 14, Jesus, y'all know I'm out of my comfort zone right now. Like, I'm, I'm, there we go. Brother Kyle, come help me. I want you to give me about four or five chairs. In Luke 14, Jesus gives this parable about this banquet. And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to invite people to come in, send out invitations. They sent out these invitations to invite, invite people. And one by one, they said, we can't come to the banquet. We can't make it. Now, if you're a Pharisee, if you're a Pharisee, you're going to still host a banquet probably, but you're going to be more satisfied at looking at empty seats because you believe that not just anybody should be invited to the banquet. This is an important banquet. And when, when, when the people that you think needs to be at the banquet, when they don't show up, you're going to be like, oh, we'll have a banquet, but we're not just going to fill these chairs with anybody. We're just not. But you know what Jesus does? Can you put my scripture up there? Just like I'm going to read it from down here. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring... Go get the poor. Go get the crippled, the blind and the lame. Watch verse 22. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has, has been done, and still there's no room. Go to the next verse. And the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. 
He said, I want you to go out. And he said, I want you to find anybody that is willing to come into my house. And I want you to invite them to come in. And I don't care what kind of disability they got. I don't care what kind of issue they got. I don't care what kind of struggle they got. And here, here we are in 2023 in this story. This story is my heartbeat. Because I believe there are some places that only want certain types of people that look a certain way to come into their house. That's, when I, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I want you to go out and compel anybody that's got a need and tell them they got a place at my table. And when we start deciding who's going to sit at the table, we miss out on the very will of God. And there are some of us, look, we've been saved for so long that we forgot what it was like when we were out there and needed somebody to reach down and pull us in. And I've learned, man, I've learned. I've learned, bro, that you'll come hear me preach and it'll be good. You may leave a little different. But I can't tell you the times that I'm out somewhere and I mean, guys, I, I don't wear a suit every day. That may be somebody's conviction, but I don't. If you see me during the day, I probably got windsuit pants on and a sweatshirt. I don't do that intentionally. I just want to be comfortable. And there are times that I'll be just in my casual clothes and I'll have my headphones in and I'll be trying to ignore everybody. You know, close your eyes. Please don't look at me. come from but I can't tell you the people's lives that I've connected with not in a pulpit or with a sermon or with an iPad but just out in everyday life not trying to win an argument just showing people hey I, I still, still, still still stutter I still struggle I still battle but I'm not going to allow it to define who I am. And that attainable grace in people's life, not at Josh Payne, the preacher, but at Josh Payne, who's someone who would be open with every insecurity that he has. I hope you get tired. I hope you say, preacher, I'm tired of hearing about your insecurities because I'm going to tell you about them a lot more. Because I've learned. I've learned that there's, there's somebody else that might have a stutter. But I want to let them know there's a church in Tickfall at 11005 Highway 442. Well, I don't care who you are, what you look like, where you come from. You got a place at the king's table. It don't matter. You can stutter. Look, you may have come from a situation that, look, you just, you just tired and weary and wore out and your life is in shambles. But I want you to know you got a place at the king's table. I don't want to look at empty seats. I want to look at seats that is full of those that have been broken, that are tired and weary, but they know. Let's stand. You got a place. You got a place at the king's table. You got a place. You got a place. You got a place. Sterling, will you put that picture, that last picture up there for me? I want you to remember this guy. His name is Robert Reed. There's one person that could offer Jesus an excuse, it would be him. 
His hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth. He can't comb his hair. He can't dress himself. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. His speech sounded like a worn-out audio cassette. He has cerebral palsy. Because of his disease, he couldn't drive a car or ride a bike or go for a walk. But he didn't keep it from, it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or from Abilene Christian University. It didn't keep him from teaching at a St. Louis junior college or from venturing overseas on five missions trips. And his disease, his disease didn't keep him from becoming a missionary to Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone. You heard what I just said? In 1972. And there he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. And then he stationed himself in the park every day and he distributed brochures about Jesus Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord. he ministered through his weakness. My question to you today is when are you going to stop making excuses and do what the Lord is calling you to do?